Hello, I'm Andrea's sister Cynthia. On today's show, we're going to be real about this summer's hottest new social media app. Also, why smell is so powerful. All right, let's start the show. Hello, hello. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Andrea Gutierrez. And I'm Elise Hugh. We are your guest hosts this week. And now it's time to be real. Andrea, I always think you're being real. Oh, thank you. I think you're being real, too. (laughs) So real. We're talking about the app. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. Either way, it's getting all kinds of attention this summer, and it's called Be Real. The name kind of says it all, right? The promise is authenticity. Lise, I'm going to be honest. I've been hearing about Be Real all summer, but I haven't actually downloaded it yet. Okay, it's worth a shot. So how about you go do that, and I'll take it from here. All right. See you later. So for those of y'all who haven't heard of it, let me break it down. The app sends a push notification, an alert to all of its users at the exact same time. And then we users have about two minutes to post a photo of whatever it is we're doing, wherever we are at that moment. No thrills, frills, or makeup if you're not already wearing it, because it's a photo of you and what you're looking at. It gets your front camera and your back camera. That's Haley Nauman. She's a podcaster and writer of the popular newsletter on Modern Life called Maybe Baby. And the idea, the sales pitch is kind of, you understand what your friends are up to in a more kind of grounded, in the moment, unplanned way. I I always compare it to Wordle. And that's Ryan Broderick. He's also a podcaster who writes the newsletter Garbage Day on the latest trends of online life. That's sort of my comparison where it's like this thing you do once a day and then you forget about it. Uh, I have never successfully hit the push alert at the right time. I don't know why. I just I miss it every single time. (laughs) So be real. It's another social media app that promises to connect us. It's a game. It's all of the above. But what does its popularity say about what we want from social media now? And as we've become increasingly disillusioned, my hands up, with the promise of social media, how authentic can we really be online? Well, Haley, Ryan, and I are going to get into those questions. But first, out of the three of us, who among us is on Be Real and who isn't? I'm not. I tried and I very quickly lost interest. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, what have you taken a picture of? Like, what stands out to you in terms of what you've done on Be Real? Oh, well, (laughs) I was on vacation in Italy, so I was very interested in bragging about that. Oh, not fair. And then I stopped uh, using it entirely when I went back to my normal life. (laughs) (laughs) I have taken a photo of my laptop screen the last three days, I think. So (laughs) you're welcome for that content, my four followers. It's very ethical of you, Elise. And if you're late, it says that you did not post in the allotted time. Yes, it shames you. Yeah, you're shamed. (laughs) (laughs) So that is to say that it's important for the app designers, or it's an idea baked into the app, that they decide when you take an image. The user doesn't decide. Right. Yes. And what do you think the point of that is? My, my, My gut is that it's trying to subvert influencers. You know, these people who on TikTok and Instagram will take like extremely um, elaborate, aspirational, like, you know, very prim and proper photos. They don't want you to do that. They want you to just take a photo on the fly and add it to the feed. Right. No pretenses, no planning, no deciding when the right moment is in your life to highlight. I think that's the that's the sales pitch, at least. Yeah. It's very hard to pose with my Nescafe coffee. Uh, which is my sponsor this month uh, when I only have two minutes to to plan. 
just to be clear, Ryan is not sponsored by Nescafe. <laughs> so what's y'all's take on it? Is it a healthier approach? I don't doubt at all that it's entertaining and maybe refreshing in certain ways as a kind of opposing approach to Instagram where everything's starting to feel like way too edited and filtered. Yeah. Where my like cynicism comes in, I guess, is basically when in the marketing, the idea, even in the name, be real, this idea that we're supposed to immediately buy into that being prompted by your phone to take a photo is necessarily going to reveal some sort of truth or reality about your life. (laughs) Um, I think oftentimes like a lot of social platforms have these really lofty kind of PR spun missions about how they're going to connect people and like help you share your life. And as we've seen with most other platforms, that doesn't really end up being the product. It's not really what they're selling and it's not what's being sold. So I just have some cynicism about Be Real's entire premise. Let's dig in on that, right? Let's dig in on the premise of Be Real. Do we expect the social internet as something that helps us reveal the truth? Because a lot of tweets on this have said things like, I would never go on Be Real. The internet is for being fake, right? Like, it is a norm that the internet is fake. And so is Be Real kind of a solution in search of a problem? Or is it nostalgic? Is it going back or trying to go back to a kind of internet that never really existed? Well, I do think it's like very interesting. I hadn't thought about this until uh, I was doing interviews for a piece on Be Real. And like a young woman I was talking to mentioned this where... Yes, be real is authentic, quote unquote, but it can be very toxic when people are glamorous on it. It's almost worse. Uh, the The person I was talking to sort of described it as this feeling of like discovering your friends are actually much wealthier than you huh. or more interesting or less boring they're, they're, yeah, or more. Yeah, less boring. And it is this interesting way of, yeah, you're flipping the idea of like everyone's a celebrity on Instagram and Instagram is your personal reality show. But then it's giving you this window into other people's lives that is almost sometimes more uncomfortable because you think like, oh, like I look like a slob right now, but how how do you not look like a slob? I asked my subscribers recently who use Be Real um, how they felt about the app experience. And a lot of people said that They've noticed the competitiveness starting to sneak into it like so quickly. They said that they're scrambling to take an aesthetic photo in two two minutes. <laughs> like they've they're already subverting the entire premise. And like as their circles are getting wider on Be Real, it's no longer kind of the fun, intimate thing it started as. And it's 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 funny that so quickly with the ass uh, popularity, the rise in popularity, it's it's kind of caving to all the the pitfalls of the other apps that it was supposed to be. Yeah, the same tendencies, right. right? Be real, which is supposed to have no aesthetic. Like the whole point is for it to just not be um, gamified somehow is already being gamified. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and even if even if nobody figured out how to gamify it, it would still be sort of random, right? It's coming at a random time. It might catch you at a boring moment or a more interesting moment. You have no control over that. People, I got I got some comments of people saying that they were really bummed that the that the push notification would come when they were doing something boring when like they had just been outside reading by a pool and things like that. Where it's like <laughs> at a certain point you're like becoming even more neurotic, like you're chained to your phone in this new way. Yeah, because the app could signal us at any moment. It just makes us more lab rats, right? Like, or it could. A cynical take would be that, right? That because 
we know that Be Real could ping us at any moment, then shouldn't I spend more time outside by the pool making my <laughs> life look great? Yeah, I, I do think it kind of adds to this like weird meta contextual idea of our lives. But I do, I don't know, I always sort of question whenever like young people use the internet, Part of me always just like remembers when I was a young Those person young on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I didn't take any of it seriously. So like, whenever I read sort of like, I, I never want to be the older person being like, teenagers are having their minds melted by the internet. It's like, <laughs> I, I assume the average Be Real user has like 15 people they follow. And like, once classes start in college again, like they're just not going to touch it. <laughs> like, it's just like a summer app that like will disappear. I think so too. Yeah. That's my gut. It's a blip. I, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but I think Facebook just introduced something called a candid challenge. Oh, it's over, baby. It's <laughs> yeah. already done. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's the death knell. Um, <laughs> Instagram always just, this is like the classic move, but cannibalizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to push just a little and say, like, I do think there's a couple key trends that, like, Be Real has, like, brought to light that won't go away, even if Be Real dies. Yeah, let's broaden it out. Yeah. So, so like, Be Real. I think the biggest thing is it's not Instagram, which is where your parents are now. So like, that's really very, that's going to be increasingly important in the same way that, you know, I don't use Facebook anymore. So like the new generation, they're not going to touch meta products. I also think that like the new generation of internet users, if you look at like the trends and how they're using the internet, they typically don't love public feeds. And if they do use public feeds, they don't use their real names or like they have like nine different accounts for, you know, every K-pop band they like or something, right? Like they're using multiple identities to, to interact. And I also think that like, there's just a massive generational shift about, you know, what you could call like life data, this idea that you have an Instagram grid with your vacation photos and they're going to live there forever. They don't seem interested in that stuff. And you can see this in like their love of Twitch or their love of Discord or their love of TikTok, which is not really a traditional social network in the same way that like Facebook is asking you to update your bio, right? So I think all of those things are here to stay and be real kind of hit this like perfect moment where it was summertime, there's stuff to do, there's not a lot going on. And it offered enough of those things that it was pretty sticky. Yeah, some of the aspects that you talk about, about Ryan, especially just about returning to a more intimate internet, a more anonymized internet where you use handles instead of your actual name and identity and you don't have a brand because you're hidden, actually harkens to the very beginnings of the internet, right? Like AIM and IRC where you never used your real name. So it's kind of like everything old is new again. Life is a circle. Right. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it, it always just it's the 15 year rule. Right. Um, but I, I do think that like be real does tap into this idea of like the Internet is something you experience with like the closest 20 people in your life, which is very uh, like it, it goes very against the millennial idea of like, I'm verified on Twitter and here's my LinkedIn. It's like this different idea where you're not putting yourself out into public spaces online. You, you, you might be anonymous when you are, but you're spending a lot more time in, uh, you know, Snapchat uh, sharing TikToks on iMessage or if you're outside of America, WhatsApp. Like, I think those sort of dark social, as it's called, like areas seem to be where more activity is happening, which makes me think that like Be Real, because it uses your contact list to when you start it, like maybe that's why it blew up is because all of a sudden, like the 30 closest people in your phone book are just there and you can just port that over. I think I can see what you you mean, Ryan, about like 
the more intimate internet experience being interesting. I think the problem with Be Real, of course, is that it's not really integrating with our lives the way that I think some of those other intimate spaces like, um, you know, like WhatsApp or Discord or even just like iMessage where I spend most of my time on my phone. Um, they feel like they really integrate with my relationships. They feel supplemental. They can never replace it, mm. but they're just like this little funny side project. Um, yeah. Whereas Be Real feels like it's kind of forcing itself into your life in a way that doesn't feel sustainable. Yeah, I agree. So the broad question is, can social media meaningfully help humans connect as it promises? I think absolutely. I I am optimistic. I think it is good. And I think the major issue that we have right now is that there's like five companies, they run the internet, and the way that we feel using the internet would be the same way we felt if you know, we only had a Walmart to go to in our town. It would be the same way we felt if instead of public parks, we only had the option between being alone or going to Coachella, right? Like there's no version of the internet that makes good business sense at the moment that emphasizes the local, emphasizes the regional, emphasizes the personal because it's run by monopolies that want to take away our ability to leave their walled gardens. They want to monopolize yep. our time, sure. our attention, our emotions, our data. But there's, if you, if you like were to close your eyes and think nostalgically about the best times you've had online, chances are you were in some kind of digital environment that had less than a hundred people in it. I'm going to guess. Uh, it's just human nature. We don't want to be forced to like fight each other in a hunger games <laughs> all day. You know, uh, it's just not fun. And so I am optimistic, though, that, you know, and I kind of pinned it on the pandemic where we all had group chats to stay in touch with each other. We Yeah, that's we, true. The pandemic group chats. Yeah, we worked on Zoom and like drank on Zoom and <laughs> did all those other things. Like we, we had these local networks we built and they didn't, they didn't go away like I thought they would. I sort of thought like, okay, pandemic's quote unquote over, time to go back to the way things were. We're not. So now we've kind of integrated ourselves into the internet in a way that was bound to happen, but I think it just sped up. And right now we're carving out different ways of not feeling insane online because I think we can all kind of agree that being online is fun and it matters and it drives culture and it makes things interesting. But the big the big thing we have to fix is the fact that like there are five companies, most of which are owned by like weird men <laughs> dictating how we use the internet. And like, what if that wasn't true? What if it was more local? What if it was more flexible? What if it was more natural? I think we keep turning to tech to like, we've often seen it as like sort of this um, parallel to the physical world. Like we could have representations of all these things on the internet, right? Like magazines became sure. websites, clubhouses or clubs became like chat rooms. Like we, we really were trying to create these digital analogs for everything. And what we've come to with the social, with social media and social platforms is just this attempt to commodify like human connection. And we keep trying to do it in interesting and new ways. And, it, you know, in higher fidelity ways with like meta. And I think what we're failing to see is that there is basically a flaw in this entire project. These digital landscapes, they're too literal and objective. They're too two-dimensional to really capture humanity. And they keep sort of spiraling us down a path that's doesn't really feel like it's building towards anything meaningful, at least to me. Your vision, Ryan, of, of the internet being like more hyper-local does appeal to me, but I, I still think that, I, I still wish, I guess, that we had more minds 
who were looking to to create or solve for like social problems offline or at least using um, technology more as a sort of tool than a kind of end environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you there. In the meantime, we will be watching for the demise or the acquisition of Be Real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Haley and Ryan. Would y'all be down to stick around and play a game with me? Absolutely. I'm in. All right, you sound so excited. <laughs> Coming up, who said that? Support for NPR is brought to you by REI, your local outdoor co-op. If you're looking for the outdoors, look no further than outside your door. Because the great out there is right out there. Whether you're walking the dog, trekking a through-hike, or lying on a picnic blanket in between, the great out there isn't a distance, but a decision. To enjoy the outdoors just outside your door, join the co-op. REI. Better is out there. All right, and we are back to play a game called Who Said That? I'm nervous. Here's how it works. I will share a quote with you that you might have heard in the news this week, and you can guess either who said that or what it's about. There's no buzzers. You just yell out the answer. And as usual, you win nothing. (laughs) Zero prizes, just bragging rights. All right. Excellent. Perfect. I'm ready. Okay, here's the first quote. Fill in the blank. For he knew the cold truth. The only thing that could tear down blank was itself. Oh. No. House of the Dragon. Oh. That is a quote from the opening scene. Yes. I I didn't watch. (laughs) It's good. good. I I, I was skeptical going in, but I liked it. (laughs) In House of the Dragon, Ryan, tell everyone who doesn't know what House of the Dragon is. Uh, It is the new Game of Thrones prequel spinoff-y thing on HBO. Very divisive on Twitter, I'm seeing. Yes, yes. Super divisive. Twitter, one of the places where Haley still kind of hangs out in social media. <laughs> oh, I still hang around. <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that noble. So the show premiered last Sunday, and the first episode drew 9.99 million viewers, which is the biggest series premiere ever for HBO. And the quote I just read from comes from Princess, how do we say her first name? Rhaenyra? Rhaenyra? Yes. Something like that? Yes. It's all like Rogar and Arnar and Eamon. I can't keep them all straight. And I've read the books. I can't keep them all straight. So. Sounds right. Sounds right. All right. One point for Ryan. So this this means that, Haley, you still have you have you still have a chance to come from behind and win this. All right. Because right. it's three, three quotes. I'm stretching. Okay. <clears throat> Next quote. Sometimes people say, you've only publicly been with women, and I don't think I've publicly been with anyone. If Harry someone Styles. takes a, a <laughs> <laughs> I interrupted with my buzzer. (laughs) I needed to be doing this in a British accent, really, because I could have made it easier. But clearly, it didn't need to be any easier for you. This clue was so easy. All right. Sometimes people say you've only publicly been with women. And I don't think I've publicly been with anyone. If someone takes a picture of you with someone, it doesn't mean you're choosing to have a public relationship or something. All right, Haley, context, please. Yes, this is Harry Styles' response to being accused of queer baiting mm. by playing with gender and how he dresses and presenting as straight in paparazzi photos. Lots of the LGBTQI community have been debating whether his statements fall into that category. What are your thoughts? Do you think he's queer baiting? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. And 
I don't know if how useful it is to debate about it. Uh, not here on this podcast. Yeah. I'm just I'm not like accusing you. I'm just right. I just wonder if it's the time best spent, like if it leads towards liberation for anyone. I'm not sure. Cool. Oh well, you know what? The bigger point here is that you two are now tied up. Woo! All right, one to one for the win here or the tie. We can end in a draw. We're gonna play you a sound. <laughs> This Ooh. is very special. This is unique on It's Been a Minute. We're going to play you a sound, and you're going to guess where this sound is coming from. Are you all ready? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, buzz, 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 I know, no. too. I was Somebody just yell end. it out. Just yell just it out. Space. It's a, it's a nasty video of, of, a, of a galaxy. It's a gaseous, <laughs> a gaseous galaxy making noise. Yeah. The sound of space. Yeah. I'm giving it both. <laughs> I'm giving it to both of you, but Haley should get the point for how succinct her answer was. Because <laughs> Haley just goes space. It's space. And then yeah. Ryan's like, "This it's sourced from NASA. It's a gaseous." It's a, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I, all I remember is that this is what gas sounds like in space. If there's too much of it, which I thought you was both funny. got it. I'm giving you a half point each to tie it up. That was awesome. I'm happy. One and a half. Yeah, good com- one and worthy a half comp- each. competition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was the sound of a black hole that NASA released this week. I didn't know <laughs> black holes even had sounds because I thought like the nature of the black hole was that kind of it was antimatter. I, I saw a tweet of someone saying, "Oh, that's cool. It just sounds like a million souls trapped in hell." <laughs> It's really promising. Haley, we would have accepted that as the answer, too. <laughs> a million souls trapped in hell. Um, it's actually a good way to end the episode on Be Real. It's- yeah, that's true. That is very true. We have come full circle <laughs> once again. We have come full black hole. All right. Um, that was awesome. You tied. Both of you tied. Thanks again to worthy competitors, Haley Nauman and Ryan Broderick. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you, you both. Yeah. Woo. Woo! Coming up, COVID has made us more aware of the power of smell, but it's still underappreciated. My co-host Andrea Gutierrez talks to someone who says it's past time for smell to get its cultural moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp Therapy Online. Therapist Joy Berkheimer is one of the facilitators of Groupinars, a new BetterHelp therapy offering that allows clients to explore their mental health through an educational lens. She discusses how these sessions can help people better understand themselves. Our Groupinars are definitely validating for you knowing you have something going on that's not uncommon. It's not just you. Maybe you are a highly sensitive person and you recognize why you get poked by different things and you also get worksheets and different attachments so you can use them right away to start to make changes. One, I feel better for me, but I'm also educated on explaining to other people who I am. I can tell my family that no, I'm not just nervous. I have this going on and I know how to make it better and I know how you can support me in making it better. To get 10% off your first month of online therapy, go to betterhelp.com slash minute. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Andrea Gutierrez. Elise, I don't know about you, but this time of year is always oddly emotional for me. Huh. Why is that? Well, fall is right around the corner. School is starting. And especially here in Southern California, where I'm from, there's a particular smell that marks this time. One that screams first day of school. 
I can't describe it. Is it the morning dew on local plants mixed with fresh notebooks and sharpened pencils? I mean, just one whiff and I'm back in Mrs. Cohen's first grade classroom. I wanted to understand this response, why smell is so powerful. So I talked to someone who calls herself the smell lady. There's some really, like, literary smells out there now. Um, I have a couple of them that derive from a novel or something, and it's a combination of smells that really roll up to, like, a story. That's Jude Stewart. One that I like, it smells like uh, grass, but also um, the whiff of tennis balls, and it's called Soft Lawn. It relates to a novel about a tennis star. You know, when I wear this particular one, I love talking about tennis balls, because why not? Jude came out with a literal guidebook to smell called Revelations in Air. Jude and I talked about the science of smell, perfume trends, and the many ways we underestimate how important it is to be able to smell. Although Jude says, thanks to COVID, that's starting to change. I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, you know, COVID really woke up a lot of people to the awareness of their their sense of smell as being important. You know, Um, there's this sense of, dislocated unreality, like that your world isn't really happening, like your child doesn't smell like your child anymore, your wife doesn't smell like your wife. I mean, these are, if you put it that way, it's like horrible (laughs) to think about, you know, we really don't want to be a brain in the jar. And I, I think that's the experience of losing smell is that you don't feel like your body is in the world anymore. Right. So as we've moved back out into the world, it seems like there's interest in fragrances that have historically been used in ritual. Essential oils that smell mm. like Palo Santo or frankincense, for instance. Like, what does that say to you about the type of sensations and experiences we're craving now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like that you identified them as ritualistic. And in some ways, these smells kind of get back to the really the heart of the origins of perfumes and, and smell in a social context. Because uh, a lot of incense was uh, designed to kind of gather people around into a moment, feel a sense of community. We're all... For the period of time that the incense burns, we're all smelling the same thing. The incense smoke is actually traveling up and it's connecting us with something bigger mm-hmm. than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it, you know when it's burned out, it's over. The, it's a very time-based kind of phenomena. Mm-hmm. The origin of the word perfume actually does refer to this idea of like the, the fume and the smoke going up. So it kind of gets right back to mm-hmm. um, that etymology, if you will. Uh, you know, and I think it speaks to a lot of things that that we're feeling right now is that that sense of loneliness moving into connection, that sense of what does all this mean? you know, and maybe maybe I want to reconsider my life in a big picture sense differently now that now that we can actually get back together with people on travel and do all the things, yeah. Another recent trend is a skin scent. Mm-hmm. Uh, this can smell like deep musk or this new thing where the idea is fragrances like take your own body scent and enhance it to create something intimate and unique, which I mean, the scent of skin, the smell of skin and bodies is like intimate in itself. Right. Why do you think we want to be able to smell skin or smell of skin now? Well, I mean, I I uh, remember them when I hugged my friends for the first time right after COVID. It was like, oh, it felt so good to hug them again, not just physically, but I realized I had missed the, their smell. I had missed being in their presence. Um, it doesn't always have to be sexy or romantic to smell someone else. I, I'm personally a really big fan of those perfumes because it's like they just slightly edit reality. You know, they make you smell like you, but a little bit better. And there's something also kind of very witty about that, that it's so subtle. You're not even sure the person's wearing perfume. I think we want we want to feel realness and and smell that derives from natural sources just really punches up our sense of physicality and presence, bodily presence, you know, and it means something to us now. 
Right. It also makes me think of, like, what is the story that our personal smells tell about us? You can think of your sense of smell, your body smell, as sort of happening at three layers. So this baseline layer, which is just constant radiating out into the air, nothing to do with what you're applying to your skin. That's your immune system and your state of health being reflected. You know, there are various diseases you might get that would fluctuate that smell that's coming off of your body. So that's one layer. There's a middle layer that's like a culturated type of smell. So what kind of diet you have and what kind of work you do. If you eat a lot of chili or you eat a lot of curry or what mm-hmm. have you. Um, and then at the top layer is this, like, did we take a shower today? What kind of, you know, products are we wearing? Uh, but also at this level of like just fluctuating emotions, like you can actually smell other people's emotions. They have mm. studied fear, disgust, happiness. These are all uh, identifiable through our sense of smell. So, you know, really it's amazing how much um, information about you personally in any given moment is being given off by your body smell. Studies have confirmed that we have recognizable smells from birth. Uh, why is that? Oh, well, I think uh, it goes back to this question of, uh, of our immune system and, and the uniqueness of what's being expressed there. But it also has to do with, you know, uh, the mother, mother-child bond. Um, so there is one very small study that just knocked my socks off where um, mothers had been given an extremely limited amount of time with their newborns. This is right after birth. <laughs> Ten minutes up to an hour maximum. Uh, you know, they were given a, a, a series of a little clothing that had smelled mm-hmm. like various babies and they were asked to identify their own child and some extraordinary percentage, like over 90% of the parents could identify the smell wow. with almost no exposure to their child. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was another study that was mothers and fathers and it was the sort of same idea where they took amniotic fluid and asked the parents to identify which one belonged to their child and the fathers actually blew it out of the water with that one and they almost all of them could recognize the smell. So I think it has to do with this bonding and you know this intense connection that we have with this little person. Is there a smell that has strong emotional resonance for you? Like you feel it. You just, you're like, I can't put words to that. I feel this though. You know, uh, I have a chapter in the book on the smell of beer, which I wouldn't have otherwise said was, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have said that was like particularly emotive. Beer has so many different smells <laughs> at different stages when it's fresh, when it's been sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, I wouldn't have said that until I actually sat down and really, I got this, this beer and my, my plan was to smell the beer. And I was talking to a, a beer master, a brewmaster, and I, he was going to tell me what the different smells of the beer could tell me about the, the process of brewing and like how this beer arrived to be what it is. So I had this kind of very rational plan about me smelling beer. And what I found is that it, it, it was really hard to get back on that track because it just reminded me of hanging out in beer gardens in Berlin, which is a place I love and have spent a lot of time. And I was doing it at the time, you know, during... COVID where nobody could travel and it was just very mm-hmm. sad making actually. And I, I had a hard time really lifting myself out of that. Scent can unlock all these memories and these, um, and obviously with memories, emotions. Why do we have such powerful emotions tied to smell? Every time you encounter a new smell on some level, you are deciding, is this a threat or is it an opportunity? So you're making very swift judgments. Um, and, you know, if you get sick of a particular smell, you're never going to want to eat that again. <laughs> you will mm-hmm. never be convinced, however delicious, to eat that thing again. So emotion is bound up in it. Our other senses, they generally travel through a part of the brain that's called the thalamus, which is part of our new brain. Smell goes right up your nose. 
and then it, uh, mm. it interacts with your brain at the level of um, olfactory bulbs, and those are very closely tied in with the amygdala and hippocampus. So part of the reason why we can't put words or it's difficult to put words to smells is because um, the language centers of the brain are not part of this process, but the emotion centers and the memory centers are very closely tied with smells. It's almost uh, upsetting how vivid and instant it is. It's like teleportation. Is there anything interesting to you right now about smell science or smell technology? Like how are how are new developments different or better than say smellovision of years past? Oh, smellovision, yes. Uh, well, see, I just uh, wrote an article arguing for smells in virtual reality, so that was a fun thing to research. You know, smells can't really be transmitted on the internet. Basically, mm-hmm. you have to smell an actual smelly thing, and it has to be mm-hmm. in front of your nose for you to like experience that. So you're inherently limited in how many smells you're going to have if they're going to be part of like a VR headset, for example. Mm. That said, there's some interesting kind of hacks that you can do to either expand on uh, the possible smells or just make the smells more immersive and really deepen an experience. I talked to a researcher named um, Jas Brooks at the University of Chicago, and they were Mm. telling me about some work that they'd done around the trigeminal nerve. Uh, It's a a bunch of nerves that we have in our face. This nerve senses... um, temperature as well as smell. So when you smell eucalyptus and it seems kind of cold, that's Mm -hmm. your trigeminal nerve sort of reacting to the temperature quality of the smell. So you Mm -hmm. can use that and manipulate that in different settings to, um, you know, if you're in a snowy landscape in the VR situation, if you smell a little whiff of peppermint or eucalyptus, Mm -hmm. it will make you feel colder. So it's smell on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's it's providing a deeper dimensionality for the whole experience, kind of a fun little hack, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that one I enjoyed quite a lot. Yeah. I think of like Dr. Bronner's peppermint. You got to be careful with that one because yeah. it feel you feel that like prickling kind of like coolness of that one. Yeah. You don't want to use it in all situations. It's true. <laughs> so when it comes to fragrances, especially, we talk about natural and synthetic smells. Um, this is something of special interest to me. I love all kinds of scents, but I'm very sensitive to synthetic fragrance. Like I get headaches. I don't feel well, especially a lot of times it'll just be really overbearing to me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's real. There's a condition called hyperosmia, um, which mm-hmm. is this extreme sensitivity to smell. Um, and it a lot of people experience it in during pregnancy, but you know, for other people it's more of a enduring thing. And, you know, it can produce migraines and <laughs> uh, has lots of mm-hmm. lots of real effects for people. I always have to check labels for words. The words fragrance or perfume. So I could keep looking for something without them. How do we actually define those terms, natural and synthetic? Oh, that's a great question. So if you create a jasmine, you know, molecule in the lab and you get one from an actual flower, the molecules are going to be identical. They're going to be exactly mm-hmm. the same. The question is though, the molecules from the flower, there will be many different molecules. And did you get enough of the representative molecules to truly represent the fragrance of the flower? And just to make that more complex, flowers release smells all day, all day long, depending on what kind of like bees they're trying to attract or insects. So, you know, um, if you're really, if you're really very nuanced, as perfumers <laughs> often are, they might like know that the smell in the morning is different from the afternoon or evening. Mm. There's many different molecules, so uh, you might be sensing more than anything the like the the incompleteness of this approximation in the lab. But you know what's interesting is that there are actually lab invented molecules that have never existed that we can smell. I found that to be so amazing. Oh, wow. You can make them in in the lab, and you can smell mm-hmm. them with your nose. So. Um, so something that doesn't exist in nature already. 
Yeah, yeah. I have a perfume uh, that's called uh, Molecule Five, and it's entirely like a, a lab, a lab invented, <laughs> you know, <laughs> synthetic molecule. I mean, I hope that since you have it, as, it's a perfume you have. Like, does it smell good? Like, what does it smell? <laughs> it smells- Is there anything that you can compare it to? Oh, okay. I, I it smells like um, I would say like a kind of a dead. A dead lily shading into smoke. It's sort of this very overblown, like flowery <laughs> smell. And I That's like so the, specific. I know. I like how weird it is. People are like, what is that? You know? And you're like, <laughs> this is one molecule that did not exist until 1976 or what have you. I forget the exact uh-huh. year, but you know, um, it, it your mind kind of fills in some reference of what it must be. And I th- I find that kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But it also makes me think of there's like this issue here, especially in Southern California, um, where there are people poaching white sage in the wild. There's this great uh, L.A. Times article that really goes into depth about it. Uh, Poachers are endangering the plant so they can sell bundles for smudging online, on social media, whatnot. And so now now you're kind of endangering something that is not only native to the land, but the native peoples like Chumash and Tongva peoples um, have used it for different things. Uh, it makes me think that the pursuit is of what is quote unquote natural can actually be damaging sometimes that that in some ways it like makes the case for like having these these synthetic or synthesized scents. I love that example because it exactly gets at the complexity of like the issues at play that, I mean, there are quite a few perfume uh, ingredients that have been, you know, hunted almost to extinction. Like you mentioned musk earlier. Well, musk used to come from the deer and they would, you know, the deers became very, very endangered. There are many, many other things that come into play when you require every scent to come from the earth, it becomes very taxing on Mm -hmm. resources. So it's, synthetics do help with that problem. Yeah. Do you find yourself letting your nose lead you through the world? Oh, big time. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that smelling is kind of mindfulness turned inside out. You know, when you think about meditating, like you're focused Mm -hmm. on your breath and you're focusing inward and maybe you're saying a mantra, what have you. Um, But when you smell, you're doing the same thing, but you're focusing on the world. And it's like your body in this particular place at this time, smells don't last forever. They go away, you know, with the air movement. So it's like, it really pins you to a moment. And uh, so I, yeah, I like can't ever unthink that thought and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, Jude, thank you so much. I just really appreciate it. Really like fascinating look into the world of smell, smell into the world of smell and scent. But I really appreciate talking to you today. Oh, this is such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks again to Jude Stewart, author of Revelations in Air, a guidebook to smell. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Andrea Gutierrez, Liam McBain, Janet Ujung Lee, and Jessica Mendoza. Our supervising editor is Jessica Placek. Our executive producer is Vera Lynn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grenman. Listeners, take good care of yourselves. And thank you for listening. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Andrea Gutierrez. Talk soon. <laughs>